Welcome to the I Can Fly podcast. Today, we are so excited to share with you our conversation with Luke Donald. Starting from humble beginnings, Luke ascended all the way to the number one player in the world in May of 2011. Luke was incredibly kind in sharing literal drills in his preparation and efforts to becoming the greatest player in the world. But not only this, what showed through in this conversation is Luke's heart. Luke is a very reserved person and someone who's very rarely shown all sides of his personality. And I'm so excited for everyone to have the opportunity to see the full and loving character that he is. This was really best displayed when we touched on the Ryder Cup this past fall. Luke shared that captaining the Ryder Cup team this past year was truly the greatest accomplishment of his career. And bringing that group of men together through love and gratitude is what truly banded them together as brothers. Please enjoy this conversation with Luke Donald. We did. Gigi, did. You're, you're on. You're, you're, you're on the box. She's nine. Well, nine and a half. Soon. In a couple. Gigi's the most intimidating one in the room. She was doing long division here before we got in <laughs> I had no idea what was going on on that <laughs> problem. The Christmas PJs on. Yeah. Ready for Christmas. The best time of year. Go do your reading, and then you can come say hi later, okay? Deal. Thanks. High five. Nice. Thanks, Gigi. Luke, thanks for having us today. We're sure. at, at Luke's house, and this is... Uh, Feels very festive. My wife would be extremely happy right now. She's been dying to get into the Christmas spirit. Is it no November sixteenth <laughs> or something? Yeah, yep. it's a little early for Christmas, but Gigi was watching the Santa Tracker, which frankly I didn't know. <laughs> already, that's, that's yeah. that exists already. already? Uh-huh. I and thought that only came up on like December like fifteenth onwards. So did I. If... We learned today. I loved it. This is really cool to have to have you on as a as a fellow golfer. And uh, someone who I've looked up to, I know Jay looked up to for a long time with like your career and your, your family and the way you treat people. And um, it's just, it's cool to, to be in your home yeah. tonight and uh, hopefully can learn some cool stories about your, your life and upbringing and things that you've learned over the, way, over the ways. And um, I guess we can start as uh, at when you were young, where'd you grow up and tell me about your parents and Wow. Yes. Uh, I grew up, um, I grew up just outside, uh, England really. Yeah. Outside London. I mean, um, inside of England. Yeah. In, in England, just outside of London. <laughs> um, yeah. A long time ago now, uh, turned 46 in December. So it, it's, uh, it's taken me back a while, but, uh, I grew up, um, a town, called um well i lived in a town called high wickham pretty much most of my early years which is a, a town right between london and oxford mm-hmm. um yeah i mean anyone who's been to london heathrow it's very 30 minute drive from heathrow airport um pretty pretty central down in the south of england and um yeah youngest of four um i've got an older sister who's 10 years older than me okay older brother eight years older and then another brother uh six years older and then then i came along so um chris i think you probably met chris he caddied for me for a while right and 
still caddies now. Uh, he's got a good story, and we were, we were very close growing up, playing a lot of golf together. Um, good player. Good player. Yeah, he uh, he was a club pro for a while uh-huh. um, in England. And uh, when I got my tour card, um, I was like, do you want to come, come caddy for me? And he's like, hell yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, beats teaching Mrs. Havercam. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Dude, she's still working on the drama. <laughs> she's still working on that. Yeah, it's a peach. But um, yeah, I grew up uh, I grew up in England. Um, yeah, youngest of four. Um, went to a very artistic school till I was about 10 years old, a Rudolf Steiner school. Oh, yeah. Where my kids, uh, where my brothers and sister all pretty much went their whole career, mm-hmm. um, whole, whole childhood. And... Um, then I went uh, to a little bit more of an a- academic school, and then uh, I went to uh, what's called a Royal Grammar School, which is like a uh, good education um, where you don't have to pay. It's like it's, it's not like a public school, but it's like a a, a free private school almost. Right. So um, good, good ac- academics, good uh, sports. Can we pause on the artistic one? I want to hear more about that because I when I grew up, I was in the TAP talented art program for like drawing and painting and stuff and I- yeah so um Rudolf Steiner uh, I'm sure it's a little bit like a Montessori mm-hmm. and they believe in you know very balanced upbringing and you know my parents were certainly that way my parents were you know I'd call them kind of gypsies in a way but, nice uh, very balanced um they didn't really to them you know when I got good at golf, especially, they, they didn't really care about that. They wanted to make sure that even though I was good at golf, that I had other interests mm. as well. And it's I had important. a balanced life. Um, but uh, Rudolf Steiner, yeah, was, again, quite an artistic school. Um, what did you like to do there? Man, I don't, I remember my memories are just playing a lot. Um, I remember we had this one class called Eurythmy. Wow, like we would <laughs> we would put like these ballet shoes on, and make sure that when you walked around and like in a circle with your with your classmates, you had to never start with your heel down. It was always toe down. Interesting. And you'd have these copper rods, and you'd have to like put them over your hand and like drop them behind and catch them. And it was like working on your like, um, yeah, or coordination, coordination, and. Yeah, I remember that. I remember a lot of art, artistic classes. So I was even a, um, an art major at college because of this, really. Right. Wow. I mean, um, my, all my brothers and sisters were pretty artistic because of they went through this whole system mm-hmm. of of the Rudolf Steiner. And even though I only went up to it till I was eleven, I sort of you know watched them and right. still continued that in in. The school at Royal Grammar School. So even at, we had school GCSEs and A levels, which is like high school, different diplomas. Mm-hmm. And then um, one of them was art, was art that I took um, an A level level. So as soon as I came over to college in Northwest in Chicago, um, you know, again that's quite a liberal arts school, mm-hmm. to a variety of different subjects and stuff. But time I got through my my sophomore year. I had to decide what I was going to be a major, and I thought, as they didn't have an undergraduate business degree, which I thought would kind of be useful, <laughs> they didn't have that. So I thought, really, let's do, 
let's do art. So I did fine art as my major in college. Wow. A lot to do with, uh, you know, my upbringing, you know, mm-hmm. in school. Did it feel like, I mean, from that time, from 10 to 18 or 10, 19 or so, 10 years of space, like coming back to the art probably felt pretty cool. And like your, I guess the upbringing in that, in that school, it gives you the freedom of being creative. And Very probably, creative, um, which, you know, I think I help, helped me in my golf in a little bit. I was just going to say, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, short game, specifically. Short game and... Sevi was one of my idols. I think mm. probably one of the most creative players that there ever was. You know, For sure. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, again in university at college and, and Northwestern, I just felt like I wanted to do something that I enjoyed, and I, I enjoyed that. Mm. I really enjoyed kind of immersing myself into different forms of artwork. I mean, oil painting was my was my concentration. Um, but you know, I, I felt like I could get lost. You know, the, the the classes were three hours long usually. Wow. Tuesdays and Thursdays, like nine to twelve, would take up my whole morning. Mm-hmm. But you could really just lose yourself in it. You know, and I felt like the time really flew by. That's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, it was just something I thought that kind of helped my my golf. You know, it gave me sort of using kind of both sides of my brain a little bit. Mm-hmm. For, and is there like an easel in front of you at the during the class or is it just lecture yeah so so there's lots of i mean th- the the art major was a bunch of different things we did all kinds of play um you know lithography to um print works to um oil painting to um my last ever class at northwestern was intro to sculpture mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's, it's, i had one class to graduate my final quarter what was the sculpture? Uh, intro to sculpture. Um, I did. Um, I did like this massive like lion. Sick. Uh, <laughs> can again, it was based off of golf. <laughs> that was such a response that you Sick. would give. Sick. It, was, it was based off uh, of uh, golf again um, because when I was playing for England, um, you know. We have the three lines, the three lines on the shirt. It's like an English uh, thing. Mm -hmm. And um, even when I played in like the Eisenhower in 1998, uh, which was kind of my sophomore year, uh, we would have these pins that you would swap between countries. So if you were from France, you'd give a little French one. We had like little lions that we would give. It was like kind of a cool little ceremony between amateur golf in england and and when you're playing in europe so uh, yeah i just the, i did something the eisenhower was that was a tournament that was for the best amateurs from yeah country. we 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 were represented by gb and i okay um wasn't just england but yeah france spain you know all these other countries had teams yeah. and uh yeah i played it in 1998 in chile santiago chile very one so uh, nice pretty cool I remember doing that at the, at the Walker Cup. Yeah. Where you like exchange your ties or your yeah, pin. maybe pins. it even was pins. pins yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I played in two of those in 99 and 2001. Where were they? Nan in Scotland in 99 and Ocean Forest. Oh, um, oh yeah. Up in Sea Island. Ocean yeah. Forest is amazing. Yeah. Hottest week in my life. No way. Oh, it was mid August. Yep. I don't know if it was extra special hot or uh, I just wasn't used. I mean, I'd been in the U.S. for three or four years. Um, 
with uh, Northwestern, um, but I, I just that week was so so hot. Yeah, Mirachi. Where did the name Archie come from? Um. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I just liked. I thought Archie was a good dog's name, and yeah. it was very British, yeah. very <laughs> British. Archibald, you know, Archie. Uh, his his middle name, name is Rock, which is a place we go to in the summers in Cornwall. So Archie Rock Donald. Yeah, when, we we went through a few different names, but I don't know. When he doesn't listen, do you call him Archibald? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he knows that one. <laughs> so we we talked about how you got into art, frankly, but nowhere in that do we really get into where golf started in that dirty. Yeah. You know? So when did golf first come into play for you? Mm. Golf first uh, started when I was about seven years old. Okay. Um, started very much at a, a par three course, just you know, just down the road from where I lived. Um, had a couple clubs, and then, but really, I got very interested in it due to my parents buying like a um, like a holiday home timeshare in Spain. So I was in the south of Spain, a place called La Manga Club. That. which um it's quite famous in a way because it's it's held q schools for 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 the european tour well wow. in the past so we were this just kind of this newish development down there um spain was a very popular place for british people to go in the summer and get some warmth and get some warm weather and sunshine and we went down there bought uh, my parents bought a timeshare we got three years of like free golf free tennis Sweet. and all these uh facilities so and there was a par three course um, right outside, like this, the villas that we would rent. And I just kind of fell in love with it. I mean, mm. um, my dad played a little bit um, growing up. His dad, my granddad, was a really good player. I actually have some of the trophies behind yeah. here. Are his trophies. He was wow. like a scratch player. He, he passed away before I was born, but. I heard a lot of stories from my grandma about how, how he loved golf and had all these famous things like he had a hole in one in the morning and then the afternoon he had another hole in one and <laughs> like stuff like that. That's so, cool. Um, yeah, I started pretty much, yeah, I would go to Spain and just kind of caught the bug. Hmm. It was me, my two brothers, my dad would go out and have a few clubs between us and just sort of loved it and sort of had that natural ability so at nine years old I, I i joined my first club just down the road a place called hazel may golf club um the joining age was actually 12 but they saw <laughs> saw some talent in me and uh let me join as a nine-year-old and good on them yeah gave me an opportunity i always remember that that's cool it's interesting because that like you hear that story and I, I went to Australia earlier this year for the first time, and they had these junior programs even at Royal Melbourne, mm. you know, where, where juniors could go and join, you know, Sweet a club, spot. practice at, and play. And you tell that story back in England. I, I feel like it's something they don't really hear about here in the States. No. Where it's just something for a kid to have the opportunity to go and play somewhere. Yeah, I agree. When yeah. I was growing up in New Jersey, like, we weren't even allowed out on the course until you were, like, 15, if you were... Before fifteen, you couldn't be, you couldn't go out until two o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, it's like the junior programs. They changed a lot since then, but yeah, it's really cool to hear. Yeah, and I, I'm always very thankful 
to that that club for for allowing me to do that because it did really give me a, a massive head start having somewhere to practice and play mm. and um now i remember they let me play in my first event i think i was 11 years old and they gave me a 28 handicap <laughs> and i played off the they let me play off the red tees you know the lady tees yeah and I had 44 points stable for it. They suddenly cut my handicap down pretty quickly. 40, yeah. yeah. Well, so I was like, I, sh I shot 20 over, I think. So It's a good day. Yeah. And I had one of the most special moments. Uh, as My first hole in one, I was 13 at that course. No way. The first hole was a par four, 320 yards, but it was like blind tee shot straight downhill. You didn't see it. Okay. And in the summer, obviously, if it was warm and it got firm, and I carried it probably 200 yards, at, you know, <laughs> at 13, but I hit this drive and it went in the hole. No way. <laughs> on a 13, par four. Par four. <laughs> wow, that's a cool story. Have you had an ace on a par four since? Never. Well, it's checked off the list. <laughs> yeah, it's all that matters. Wow. So from there, I mean, you, you get into playing at a young age and you start competing then around... You joined the club when you were nine. When did you first start playing competitive golf tournaments beyond something at the club like that? Yeah, so um, I ended up joining another course, you know, a few miles down the road that was a little bit more established. It was a um, called Beaconsville Golf Club. It was a Harry Colt design. It was a little longer, um, you know, a little bit more demanding. I thought it had a little bit better practice facilities and something I could probably elevate my game i won the club championship at like age 14 or 15 and then another uh, again at seven, sixteen, or 17 and but by the time i got to like 15 i started you know getting we have like county level so you'd go you either well you before that to be honest you play into club matches so you'd go travel to a different course near you yeah and play like match play against yeah. other people and juniors and then, so I did that. And then, you know, it's just getting recognized to play some club events or uh, different tournaments um, around the area and, and do well. And, you know, suddenly got picked up by the county to play like under 16s or something. Mm -hmm. You know, I just worked my way up. And then by the time I actually got to 16 or 17, I was playing in the full England squad. Wow. Which sort of meant I, I was one of the best kind of 12 guys. I got picked up doing England coaching. Yeah. Um, all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's just a, a kind of a natural progression, really. I just, I love com competing. I love, I, I beg my mum to take me to the course all the time. Yeah. After school, even before school. You know, and the weather in England most of the time isn't that great. Right. And, you know, I would uh, be there, uh, you know, until it was dark. And, yeah. And, um, you know, just wear out wear out my clubs putting green doing games you know i had my brother practice a lot with which yeah. is kind of helpful but practice with a lot of juniors and other friends i was gonna say was there anybody that was like on the same level even if they were a little older than you that was like your competition growing up that you're trying to be all the time was it your brothers or it was something? probably my brother at first and then you know once i start getting a little stronger and growing a little bit and hitting it just far enough for a while, you know, it was struggled to me to get to the par four and two, you know, it just mm -hmm. wasn't strong enough. So as soon as I started getting longer and longer and more, more, more strong, um, I started to beat my brother and then, <laughs> you know, I was probably 14 or 15 at that point and he was, 
2021 you know and i was starting to be regularly so um that was that was a pretty hi- a highlight for me i suppose to, to beat your beat your older brother yeah hell yeah i remember the first time i reached a par four and two actually it's <laughs> i haven't remembered that since then and then you just brought it up it's a good memory it's such a commonality between golfers growing up and we all have that same story of just every day you're 12 13 14 years old as soon as the sun comes up, as long as you can go until it sets. I mean, there's such that yeah. love when you're growing up for the yeah. game that just you don't want to leave. No. You know, part of it's the social aspect, being around the club and talking to kids your age. For you, it was for sure. <laughs> A little bit, yeah, <laughs> probably. But it's, yeah, just, it's that where the love starts. Yeah. You know, just going out, seeing yourself get better. Like I, I always remember, yeah. I always remember like my when I was 12 years old there was one summer where that was that was when I first dove into the game and found that this was something I wanted to learn how to compete and play in. And and every day I went to the golf course and went from like a 28 handicap to a six in one summer. Damn. And it's I'll never forget it because mm. the better you get in golf, the you know, the, how much you're improving gets so much smaller and smaller. You're trying to save, you know, quarter shots and you're, you know, it's, it's, it's such a minute, you know, uh, area that you're always trying to improve in. But that summer I'll never forget because it was just every day, like I could see my bunker game getting better. Yeah, it's a I big could improvement. See my putting getting better. It's nothing better though, is it, than just seeing that improvement? Hmm. I I felt that in the last week, like I haven't hit the ball this good in like a good five years, and it's like I feel like a kid again. It's so hmm. incredible. What like what about for you? What was the next step after fifteen, coming into getting on into uh, college? Like, I'm sure you were recruited by a bunch of guys, like, coming from overseas. What was that? Yeah, like? it was it was a strange process, you know. Again, going back to my parents, they, they wanted me to continue my education. Mm-hmm. So it was really important for for them that I continue to do that. Um, so I had two choices, really, to go to university in the U.K., or, or potentially look at going to the U.S., which, again, at that point, this was, um, you know, to around 2000 not many guys from the uk had started to go to the the us but mm. a few guys had you know paul casey was the year before me he'd gone um i think graham mcdowell was around the same as me um but there weren't many kids from from overseas really going to the us at that point mm-hmm. so it was it was sort of talked about um a little bit but I knew that if I was going to improve I didn't feel like I was good enough to turn pro um, I felt like I needed some more time to, to get better and for me the US just seemed like a, a perfect opportunity um, to, to to do both because mm. in the UK if you go to university you know there's nothing like what we have over here in terms of college sports right. I was I was just blown away by the first time I came over to Northwestern and saw the facilities and the facilities are amazing. you know and uh, you know that's a 55,000 people stadium and yeah that's, right that's probably small compared right. to some really yeah. when it comes to college so um yeah I went through a whole process of um being recruited um by lots of different colleges I sent out my resume um to it's called College Prospects of America. I sent my resume out to the, a bunch of colleges and mm-hmm. waited for them to kind of contact me. So, again, I 
heard of very few of them growing up in England. Mm-hmm. Um, we we're pretty oblivious to what was going on over here in, co- in terms of college golf. Um, Stanford, though, I'd heard of. Yeah. They, they uh, um, approached me and were interested, so I had talks with them. This guy called Wally Goodwin. I don't know if you remember yep. who he was, but at the time, Tiger, you know, was making all these head, you know, all this noise about right. U.S. juniors and U.S. amateurs. Mm-hmm. And he was still at Stanford at the time, and so I thought, wow, this would be great. Man, go spend it a year before he graduates and go go play with him. But in the end, I didn't get into Stanford. Um, I think it was from what I uh, heard later down the road that, you know, it was between me and this other kid, a guy called Jimmy Lee, who you've obviously heard of because he, he went on to great things on the PGA Tour. <laughs> Jimmy Lee. But they, they went with Jimmy Lee. Uh, <laughs> Laugh right on. Bunch of majors out there. Yeah. And um, so Wally was a former Northwestern coach. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy actually was in my, uh, I, I got inducted into the Northwestern Hall of Fame and Jimmy was prominent in my speech, you know, because without Jimmy, sure, I wouldn't have got to Northwestern. So everything happens for a reason. So have you contacted him since? Uh, I did see him one time, like a long time ago, and uh, we, we had a little brief chat and had a laugh. What a name. <laughs> yeah, it is a great you. name. Wait, so, all right. So when you were waiting for these colleges to write like write you back was it literally writing you back like waiting in the mail for it or um, email or i think it might have been emailed just by then mm-hmm. yeah you got some kind of or they contacted the the organization and they called called me mm-hmm. just said you know this this in this university is interested uh, uh, old dominion or something and i'm like well, where's that like like, I, I, like <laughs> yeah. you know, I was like, w- "Where's that one? Who's who's that?" Like, and then I'd look up, and I'm like, "These guys are averaging 76, and <laughs> this doesn't seem like that good." Like, mm-hmm. you know. so, but Stanford, I, I heard of Stanford. Uh-huh. You know, going in England, you like, you heard of like the famous guys like Harvard and Yale and mm-hmm. MIT, and like because of movies more yeah. than anything, right. like, and not really because of because of golf. So. And in, in the end, so I, I didn't get into Stanford and Wally was a former Northwestern coach. So mm-hmm. it's like, I feel bad. You should go over, take a visit, go to Northwestern and um, yeah, see if you like it. So I, again, I'd never heard of Northwestern. Yeah. I thought it was probably somewhere in the Northwest of, <laughs> yeah. of America, somewhere like Seattle or yeah. You know, I, I had no idea. I had to look up all this stuff, and it was a really a leap of faith. So in April of '97, I took my very first trip to the U.S. I'd never been to the U.S. I was mm-hmm. 19 years old, alone or uh, alone, alone. alone. Um, you know, I had some conversations with Pat Goss, who'd just become the head coach there, yeah. and um, you know, we were meant to meet at the airport, and I, I arrived and went through security and in England people meet you through security you know you don't go outside to the curb and get picked up oh they come in people come in usually mm-hmm. and so you know this is customary he, Pat didn't know this I was just inside waiting Pat was outside in the car <laughs> <laughs> like so there's no phones back yeah. then oh right 1997 uh-huh. <laughs> there was a McDonald's O'Hare 
And I just sat there and was like, no. I, I'll just sit here. I don't, <laughs> I don't have a phone number. I don't know where I'm going. Like, uh, first time ever to the America. And finally, Pat, like, just parked and came in and found me. But it was like, I was waiting for about an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But it was off to a shaky start. But, you know, I don't know if you, I'm sure, both you've all met Pat, right? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Good friend just of yours the, well. Just the nicest guy. Yeah. Um, made me feel so at ease. We went out, went to a practice at some course. Uh, I was blown away by, you know, just the, the golf courses that they, they took me around a few different places. They get to practice and stuff and yeah. all these private clubs. And yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. I was like, wow, these courses are amazing. Like, <laughs> you know, and I was a little worried cause it was the middle of April and it was still yeah. like cold and little bit of snow on the ground and places sure <laughs> it's like am i am I gonna practice it yeah but um yeah i went sort of a leap of faith I, I i had a great visit i felt very at ease with pat just felt right i don't mm -hmm. know and so i'm like yeah, let's go Sweet. northwest first visit done all right i'm in yeah i never went to another one it, was there any other players there that you knew or no, heard of never heard of anyone and it's kind of unique too because I don't know many players that really. I don't know if they'd heard of me either. <laughs> they hmm? certainly found out. <laughs> yeah. Because you went on to what year was it when you won NCAA's? I won my sophomore sophomore year. Yeah, Hazeltine. I won uh, individual. Yep. NCAA Hazeltine uh, team finished third that year. Um. Yeah, I, I was having a great time. My freshman year, I didn't win. I didn't win. Um, came close a few times. Uh, I remember one of the first one tournament, I got paired with Hank Keeney. Oh, wow. My freshman year. And I wasn't a long hitter. I've never been a long hitter. Yep. But I was really short back then. I mean, I was playing a green Tezoid Zuno driver. I don't know if you ever remember those ones, but. It was, it was almost, actually green. It, it was it was green. Yeah, it was it was one of the first metal drivers. But I carried this thing two forty maybe, and it ran out two seventy. You know, Smashed. if I if I got a good <laughs> good flight uh, a flight on it, you know, if I was able to get that blotter down, but get some run on it. And Pat Pat comes to me before I tee off and goes, "Now I just want to warn you, this guy hits it a long way." I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, no problem." Like I've been competing a few events and had some top 10s and top 15s and it's like nah not a problem no problem anyway i played with hank and i was hitting like long four irons into par fours where he was hitting like flip sandwiches and he was the longest you know? yeah he still had one of the longest distances on pj tour when he came out oh three i think he was 318 or something in oh three and i was three wow he was longer for the next 10 years or something his driving average so hmm. he was a beast um and i remember going to the range. we shot we both shot 71 or 72 we tied he tied him but <laughs> i was so distraught i went to the range afterwards and just started trying to swing as hard as i could with the driver i mean obviously yeah, i was probably going from 155 to 145 carry yeah yeah 145 <laughs> carry um but my freshman year was, yeah, it was a learning experience. Um, I really enjoyed my time there. I didn't win. Um, came close a few times, but felt like I could compete, you know. And 
I was a third team All American, I think, my freshman year. So a solid year. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah, just super, super consistent. Yeah, back then, I, I was I was short, but I was super straight, pretty good wedge player, good iron player, you know, yeah. and um, just did everything pretty consistently. Um, but then I really excelled in in my sophomore year. Um, first three events, I think, in the in the fall, I finished second, 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 second. I, I still still hadn't won. And I went to Stanford, of all places, a place that I didn't get <laughs> cool in. Cool course. And, um, yeah, cool yeah. course. Played Jimmy Lee. Jimmy uh, <laughs> was probably in the team. I don't know. But I was going head-to-head with Joel Kreibel. I'm sure he Oh, yeah, Joel. yeah. He was one of the top amateurs. He now works for PXG, I think. He's out on tour. You can see him a bit. But went head-to-head with him. He was a first-team All-American and um, finally got over the line and won, won nice. my first event. It was the last event in the fall. And from then on, just sort of nothing really stopped me. I, I won 13 times in the next three years, oh including an NCAA. So, yeah, won a lot. Um, got a lot better with Pat. Got a lot better um, with that college, that program. I mean, they were, I thought, an amazing program in terms of just pushing you, uh, having great structure. Mm. Uh, very fortunate to have Pat, I think, as a coach, mm-hmm. you know, Again, I I went to Northwestern totally blind. Yeah, I didn't know, didn't know Pat, didn't know that he was a good teacher. You know, sometimes you go to college, co- and coaches know nothing about golf. Yeah, they're, they're literally managers. Right, yeah. drive you from tournament, tournament, organize practice, whatever. But they're they're not really there to teach you. And and Pat was, you know, really helped me with my game and. You know, for 20 years, he was my coach. Yeah, that's what I was curious to ask you about because you really, it's pretty rare. I, I, don't, I don't know of many other examples where somebody went to college and genuinely worked with their college coach, mm-hmm. not just while they were in school, but then, you know, going on and having an, yeah. you know, a career well, why, where you worked with them. Why, uh, why change anything that's broke? You know? I mean, so it was, it was good, yeah. I mean, I had a, an amazing four years. I was in a fraternity, we had fun did golf, did my studies. I, I, I sneaked by uh, enough um, with my art degree. And, <laughs> and Northwestern's a, a tough academic. Yeah. So, you know, you had to really manage your time, you know, you had to learn all these kind of things as a as a young kid. Um, but it was a great experience for me. I mean, I, I just love the golf. I love the structure. I love competing at a high level, traveling around. Um, you know, learning to be able to organize that schoolwork, but also having a fun social life as well. I mean, I think great, great four years in my life. Mm. What was it in the structure? What was it after that first win that like catapulted you into becoming the player you are today? Like, is it the confidence? Was it? Yeah, I think I just had to get over that hump. You Mm. know, I kind of knew I was good, but I kept not quite I had to kept I kept failing a little bit and I think that the failing is always beneficial you, mm-hmm. you learn so much from that um you know and, and once I figured out how to win uh, I, I gained a lot of confidence and sort of knew that knew that I had it in me so again I just kind of figured out that my game was good enough even though I wasn't like a long hitter like Hankini or mm-hmm anything but I had good strengths you know all around strengths I was very very consistent I didn't do a lot wrong so it's just like <laughs> down the middle down the middle yeah. on the green 
make a putt, make. I remember, you know, a lot of times I would hit a lot of greens, and, and my putting was decent in college, but it certainly wasn't as good as when I when I got to, um, obviously my best years on tour. But um, you know, I'd always say, yeah, I've had eight pars, Pat, all two putts. Like <laughs> you know, and get just so frustrated because I was such a good ball striker, mm. very straight, hit the greens. But didn't feel like I made enough putts. But again, in college, being that consistent, you know, kind of got you a long way. For sure. Were there any mental secrets that you had learned from him or from yourself through that? I never really worked on my mental side or thought about it. Uh, certainly in college, um, you know, I've always, I've kind, I've kind of always had the belief that the physical and a lot of mental coaches would disagree with this, the, the physical comes before and you learn so much through that and through good preparation and through good um, drills, especially when I was at the, my best as a professional. I did a lot of writing down stuff, um, seeing that improvement and that seeing of improvement gave gave me such a, a high mentally. What yeah. stuff writing now? Uh, so I would just make up a lot of drills that would put me under pressure and mm -hmm. practice and then i would try and beat that and if i didn't then i had to do it again you know so it was like putting myself under pressure a lot of variability mm -hmm. um but also um yeah just seeing it on paper yeah that was that was helpful to me mentally what's your favorite maybe least favorite hardest drill that you created for yourself um The one, you know, obviously always known for being a good putter and I was probably the best putter in golf for almost five years mm. between like 010, 09 to 2013. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I ranked inside the top five on the PGA Tour for five straight years, a couple of times, number one. I think it was my ability to, to hold those putts, um, those four to eight footers. So I'd, I created this four to eight foot drill 20 putts um around four different holes so it's 20 putts in total all different mm -hmm. variety four five six seven eight varied mm -hmm. again I, I, and my my benchmark was always 15 at, at times during that period it was 16 out of 20 so well wow. 80 percent which was quite you know again tour average would have been about 65 five percent maybe well, 13 yeah yeah so again i just kept doing it and if i didn't do it i'd do it again and you know i just i think that was so good for momentum you know again it came down to like not three putting for a long time and yeah um again i think those things for momentum and confidence are, are so important and um certainly was a was a big factor in a lot of my success mm -hmm. yeah so even if you had a long putt in competition you're like if i can get this within inside eight feet i have an 85 80 percent chance of yeah just felt very worried about myself yeah so break it like how would you go down with these these balls for the 20 balls between four holes would you just literally measure out or like just throw a couple or would your caddy do no no or? yeah i'd literally step around a hole mm -hmm. uh, randomly between four, uh, four, five, six, seven, and eight footer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe the eight footer I putt first, then I go to the six, then I go to the five, then I go to four, and then finish with the seven. Yep. Every hole was different, but four different holes. Mm -hmm. So every putt 
was its own part. You have to read it, go through your routine. Yeah, went through my routine. Um, so again, I'm a, you know, I see a lot of these drills where people are hitting the putts over and over again. Yeah. And they're good for your confidence, but that's not really replicating real life golf. Yeah. Every shot is that its own shot, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I tried to create a lot of drills which had variability plus put some pressure on yourself definitely to create a little bit of angst a little bit of um you know uh, you can never create that same pressure you are at a tournament but you can get close yeah what can you walk us through your routine for a putt yeah it's it's pretty simple um you know i'd always line it up um with the I, i've played a tightless ball for a long time i'd put the tightless on top um kind of facing square to the to the ball like perpendicular to perpendicular. the line uh -huh. um i've never really used a line like, at times i've dabbled with it but most of the time it's like the tightness is on top i just want something that i i can see that's kind of in a in a good geometry i suppose <laughs> to the whole um yeah, I would, you know, obviously do my lining up, uh, sometimes behind, sometimes the other side, looking around from the side. But when I am get to the ball, I take one practice stroke looking at the hole, mm -hmm. and then I walk in, take one more look, and then I go. It's quite quick. It's like after that final look, it's you coming back and then just going. There's no time in between of thinking. It's just like. No, it's pretty quick, yeah. Yeah using my eyes a lot I, I i really believe in using your eyes especially for pace um and again sometimes i felt like if i line up balls it gets me a little bit out of that uh, I, I get too too bogged into down here rather than looking at the hole mm. and like feeling like what what's between me being athletic like yeah. shooting a basketball exactly yeah it's, it's so fun for me to listen to because when we first started coming down to the Bears Club in 2012, I mean, I spent hours just on the par three course watching you practice. And frankly, like a lot of the work, I started working with Darren May, you know, shortly after. And and a lot of the drills and things we would work on were inspired by, you know, what, sure. what you created. And, you know, yeah, I always... Pat and I worked a lot on that stuff. Yeah. And I always remember going you know out to the par three and you had these yardage bands that you're working on with wedge play and and you know it was incredibly inspiring just to watch the consistent work that you would put in and out every single day and pat was there for a lot of that but it was also on your own a lot of the time too and uh but for you know i guess what i'm curious to key in morgan was a little bit too is like the artistic side that you always had off the golf course how much did that come into play for you in like visualization or you know, have you ever kind of worked with those, you know, tools while you were playing? I mean, you talk about your eyes, that's all visualization. I think using your eyes, especially for speed control on the greens, um, is really important. Um, and I feel like I've always been a bit of an artistic old school player just in general. You know, I've definitely never had that modern swing where I keep the club face very stable for a long time. I've been quite a handsy player. I've always tried to be more stable, but struggled, you know, I've bit of a, a young swing I suppose and early ex I early extend a little bit um, my body stalls out somewhat and I have to use my hands but uh, again I, I've tried to take some of that out at times and um, it's never been easy for me you know again I feel like I've always goes back to 
you know, just having that ability to kind of feel it. And maybe maybe it's taken away some of my wins uh, over the time, you know, because it's very difficult to keep that timing over and over again under the immense pressure. But again, I've it's, it's served me pretty well as well. So, um, yeah, that that artistic side has certainly kind of never left my kind of my core values of my golf swing, my DNA, I suppose. So it, you come out of Northwestern then and you enter Q school and right away you make the PGA tour. Yeah. I mean, we're here in Jupiter, Florida and that is a big part because of Q school. Yeah. So my, um, well, yeah, I played the, I stayed amateur, um, through the middle of the summer to play my second Walker cup. Uh, I had so much fun two years before and then I felt like if I just wait another couple of months, play another Walker Cup, enjoy that with my teammates, like that would be really cool. Um, you know, there's no rush to I'm already twenty three by this time. I'm quite quite late to the game really. I've gone right. through four years of college and I actually took a year out between high school and going to college. I worked for my dad and just want earned some money and played some amateur events. So I'm quite old um coming out of college. Um so playing that Walker Cup was important. But uh, I was obviously one of the best amateurs in college, so I got seven starts on the PGA Tour. Um, But I didn't make enough money. But between those starts, I was going through Q school as well. Mm. So first stage of Q school. I signed with uh, IMG straight out of college. They they were kind of the biggest Mm -hmm. agent at that time. I just felt like they were global me being England, you know, maybe playing some in Europe down the road, Mer- uh, playing in America, like that was a great fit for me. And so they signed me up for Q school, uh, first stage in California. Mm. And I'm not sure why they, I can't remember why they signed me up in California. I was living in Chicago. <laughs> so I flew all the way to California. Uh, I landed in LA at like 8 PM and it was in Lompoc, California. Um, I think. Uh, anyway again it was before like google maps and all this stuff and they're like you know you just take the 405 up and it's just north of california <laughs> anyway i kept driving it was like uh exit this and this uh, i was driving for like an hour with my brother to get to about 10 p.m now i'm like where is this place stopped off at a motel and like do you know where this is and he goes yeah it's another two hours north of it no way. It's three hours north of la <laughs> I'm like fuming. I'm like, all right, we'll take a nap. We'll spend the night here. Go the next morning, do a practice round. Anyway, I won that stage by 14 shots. What? (laughs) So I got through first stage easy enough. I remember remember that story now. (laughs) Wow. So it was worth it in the end. You have Um, some stories, man. And then second stage, um, you know, people are trying to like, because they were like, you know, your game's good on hard courses. So you need to go back. Um, this is a great stage. It's always low scoring. It's mm-hmm. tough. Um, it was um, Dark Horse or not? Uh, it's right by Monterey. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We went there. Uh, is it Dark Horse or? Um, it's, or Black? Black Horse. Black Horse. Yeah, Black yeah. Horse. So that's my second stage. Um, and uh, I finished second on the second stage. So I'm through to finals. Disappointing. This is like, uh, this is easy piece of cake. Like, and, and finals is down the road here at um, PJ National. Right. So I have a good friend that's a, a 
big alumni for Northwest and Eric Gleacher, who's an older guy, get donated a bunch of money. We built an indoor facility because of him. Hmm. So he lives in Lost Tree. I get to stay with him for the week. And another kid, Jess Daly, and I think you know Jess, but I think so. Jess was a year above me, but good player. Um, and we both made it to third stage. We're both staying at his house. We both make it through. You know? Wow. I remember, but I remember going through six rounds, obviously. There's 25 cards. And I'm one shot inside the, the, the number, uh, playing the last round. And my brother's caddying for me. And uh, suddenly we're like driving to the course on that last round. And we're, we're like, shit. This is it, like you know. It's just, uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I, do I, I'm gonna have a place to play, or I might not have a job, you know, yeah. next year. Like, and it was the most stressful round I think I've played in a long time. Um, I ended up making 15 pars and three birdies. I got up and down from everywhere. I was hitting <laughs> it terribly, but just grinding it out, you know, and um, managed to finish 18th out of 25. I think I made it by two shots in the end and got my card and um, wow. was on the PGA Tour. 2002 was my first year. Hmm. Damn. Yeah, that, that stress of Q school. Well, man, it's... it's. I'm there's so nothing. glad I've only done it once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's nothing like it in sports other than that, you know? Like what you just said, like I'm either going to have a job or not going to have a job the next yeah. year. It's pretty insane mm -hmm. think about. up until then it was just like eh, you know, they play and count it up at the end see how i do i'm doing well i'm playing fine but then that last round just like the realization of what was on the line it was just mm. pretty immense mm. not a bad place to stay at last year either no so uh yeah <laughs> so that's kind of how i got there because after i got got my tour card i would come down here for a few weeks out of chicago to to practice mm -hmm. and that um, last tree well eric would let me come down here i think i i was i was playing here at bears i think most of the time Sweet. Yeah. had some contact here but you know i was staying at this this guy's house which is really really nice house like on the water <laughs> the guest house or the tennis court like this is the life like coming down here for a couple of weeks practicing before the tour got started and yeah, eventually you know, I did well enough that in 06, he's probably, he, well, in 05, I think he was like, you probably need to buy your own place now. Well, I <laughs> so. nice. In 06, I bought my first house down here, just down the road. And um, yeah, kind of, well, full time now for 10 years. And so, but like after getting your tour card and blowing through Q school, like you continued to get better. And obviously became... Yeah, it was a struggle, though. Like, that first year was really difficult, I found. You know, suddenly, I'm I'm the best college player for the last two or three years in college. And now I'm just this pretty average player, you know, with an average short game. Um, you know, and I'm watching all these guys that are so much better than me. And, I, and you have to learn so much that first year. Mm -hmm. Like, you can only get in certain events. You can't control your schedule. Right. You don't never been to these courses you don't know anything about them you mm -hmm. have to really learn them you don't know where to stay you don't know where to eat you know it's all very difficult you don't know m many people right i had my brother to hang out with which was kind of nice but um it was difficult and you know a grind and felt like good weeks i was finishing 35th and i was like man if that's a good week like 
how am I gonna how am I gonna compete out here? So it was tough, um, and I and I was sort of very consistent, as I said, in my game, and that was good enough to. By the last tournament, I was something like 105th on the FedEx, which was secure. Mm -hmm. And I went to the Southern Farm Bureau Classic. It was the last event of the year. And I was leading through three rounds. I got hot. I don't know. I just happened to get hot. And then the skies opened on Sunday. It rained out. Monday, the skies opened. It was rained out. And they called the event. And I, and I was claiming the winner. So I, I went from like 105th on FedEx to 57th. I won my first PGA Tour event. Wow. Obviously, I was two years exemption. Got the big check, $468,000 it was for, wow. for first wow. place. You still have it? I still have it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Wow, what a story the first year. Um, in 03, it was a bit of a struggle again. I didn't do great. I maybe finished 90th something in the FedEx. I mean, it was okay, but it wasn't, you know, it was hard going. It wasn't easy. And then... 04, I just felt like I, I started to figure it out, started to get to know these places, started to play better. Um, and by that, by the middle of the 04, I think I'd kind of gotten towards the top 50 in the world. And so I wanted to obviously play Ryder Cups. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be a member of the European Tour. So I joined. But back then if you wanted to be a U member of the european tour you had to play 13 events oh that's right i remember that. so it was the majors obviously counted the world golf championships counted so you literally had to be in those if you wanted to be playing the pga tour yeah. and the european tour you had to be in those because that was your eight that was counting on both mm -hmm. and then you'd have to find five more which you could but it's still not easy yeah, so like tough. another five 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 events so joined the, the tour um and then i went over played sweden in the summer and won it huh. um by five shots in in malmo and that was my second win as a pga as a as a professional and i sort of jumped up the world rankings and like people were starting to talk about me again <laughs> you know and and eventually i was get, i got a pick for the Ryder cup that year wow. bernard langer um uh, it was a, not not a surprise, but it was you know I was I, certainly it was only two picks that year. It was me and Monty, Monty, Monty. Wow. and um, Bernard told me in the end that he he one of his vice captains um, had gone over and scouted the course, and it was really a good fit for me. Oakland Hills, he said it was of course you had to be very straight, you had to hit a lot of greens, and uh, and you know have good ability on slopey fast screens and you know that was before we had really a lot of statistics to go by but you know he studied my game and he was very diligent you know that's why i made a good captain yeah um got me in that first Ryder cup and um well it's just an amazing experience to to be a part of that now i come full circle <laughs> yeah yeah how i mean once you I mean, once you tasted that team play for the first time, you had you had that experience in the Walker Cups, I'm sure, and it's, you know, every American and every European's dream to play in a Ryder Cup. But actually, like, speaking of Bernhard specifically, though, and I want to get into your Ryder Cup, you know, we're going to get into that conversation later, but, I mean, you guys kind of approached the game in somewhat of a similar way with, with how militant you were with your training and your practice. Was he ever kind of an inspiration for you? And 
maybe a tangent off that question, but in those early years, like who were those players that were really, did, was there anybody on tour you really looked up to or? Um, well, certainly my two idols were, were Faldo and, and Seve growing up. Mm. Faldo just for his sort of dedication. I remember him changing his swing after he'd won a major and thinking like, why would you do that? And just an you know, amazing work ethic. Mm. Um, Seve just for his short game and his flair and his 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 ability to inspire, I suppose. Mm. You know, I remember as a kid at my first club, Hazelmere, you know, I'd put myself in really awkward positions around the green and just try and get up and down, pretending I was Seve. And I think that helped helped me as a short game player and my kind of went back to me again as my artistic side, you know, shining through. Um you know, Bernard Langer, um, again, he was a great player, but it certainly wasn't um, someone that I really watched a lot as a kid. Mm. I remember him winning the Masters. But again, that was a little bit before me. He won Masters in maybe 85? 85. He won 85, yeah. right? Mm. Um, you know, my first real memories of the Masters was sort of 87... Jack won 86, 87, Larry Mize, 88 was Sandy Lyle. Um, and then we get into the Europeans a little bit, Faldo, right? Um, so, you know, that's when I'm starting to watch TV on golf. And um, Langer was a little bit before me. Mm. Um, but, you know, obviously super impressed with what he did in his career and super impressed with how he was as a captain. I, I felt... I knew exactly where I stood, the communication, the clarity of everything that he expected from me, where I should be, who I who I was going to play with. Um, you know, all this stuff was pretty well laid out. Um, he just seemed like he was very prepared. Yeah. Mm. It's a nice feeling to have in a, a leader, you know. I'm sure, as we'll get into, I think, later about your captainship, yeah. right? Um, sure. But I think before we we reach that, I want to learn more about how you continued growing into becoming number one in the world, and then also winning both European and PGA Tour money lists. And like, how how did you do it? Man? <laughs> like, it's amazing. I, I've been it's... yeah. I I you know a lot of credit to Pat again. You know, Pat was by my side the whole time. Um, I had some other people that that really helped along the way too. I think Pat was really good at making me focus on on the process of just continue improvement and mm -hmm. not getting dragged into um all the, the side stuff and results and all you know he would always get me focused back to what i needed to do to be a little bit better uh, the next day and, and i think that was a, a real good guiding kind of force for me and guiding light um mm -hmm. You know, so I never kind of got ahead of myself. Um, I kind of stuck with what I knew, what I knew worked. Um, but it's, and and I fell in pitfalls at times. You know, um, I think two thousand eight was pivotal moment in my career. Um, I was playing the fifteenth hole at Torrey Pines in two thousand eight at the U.S. Open. Mm -hmm. Seventy, uh, my sixty eighth hole of the tournament. I was. In about 15th place, I teed up one, you know, it's a long par four. Yeah. 
difficult hole and I hit this drive and snap, there's something go in my wrist. And, um, you know, up until then I was starting to chase a little bit of distance. I was like, you know, I need to get a little longer to be competitive and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, being a handsy player, I think that was just, just war on my wrist. So beginning of the week, I felt some pain, but didn't think much of it. It was just a bit sore. And then suddenly, yeah, bang, um, the sheath of my, the ECU tendon sheath that holds my tendons in place split open on the, on this left side. So I couldn't even finish the round, couldn't even hold onto the club. I was done uh, with draw. And, um, you know, that for me, that was a little bit of a, am I going to ever come back? You know, can I get over this? You know, you always have these thoughts as an athlete, you have an injury. It's like, what's, what's the next step for me? Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, went through the process, had to get surgery in the end. I tried to fix it, um, without surgery in the end. It was just, it was just a hole there. I mean, it just had to be soaked up, you know, it wasn't, wasn't ever going to grow back, uh, unless I went in, uh, with a surgery and great surgeon, Dr. Andy Wyland at HSS really helped me Worked with a couple of other guys, Furick and some other, other pros on injuries and six months later I was back on the course but wow. the lead up to that six months getting back on the course um you know I kind of took stock that you know that wasn't my DNA trying to hit the ball far you know you yeah. know I had to get back to what I was good at and that was starting from the hole backwards so obviously two months into my surgery I could start punting so I just would putt putt <laughs> putt three four hours a day you know then I could hit these 10 yard chips and then I could hit their 20 yard chips. Mm-hmm. And I literally worked my way back. You know, that was just the process of the injury, process, but yeah. that was exactly my DNA to like figure out, be, be as good as you can be from inside four feet, <laughs> be as good as you can be from inside 20 yards chipping, be as good as you can be from a you know, hundred yards wedge play, you know, yeah. and that, that's how it worked. And that was kind of my philosophy. It's like, I got to concentrate on my strengths. Okay, my weaknesses, I'll try and get a little bit better, but I'm really going to focus on my strengths and Mm. how I can be better. And I brought on another guy called Dave Allred, who was a little bit out of center, Um, not really had any kind of influence in golf. He was a rugby kicking coach. Wow, okay. Guy called Johnny Wilkinson was one of the best kickers in rugby. He worked with him. And he came in and worked with me on certain drills, uh, pushed me, gave me um, a little bit more of an edge, uh, a little bit of a harder, um, you know, just a, an FU attitude. Nice. And um, he was really helpful. And I think I brought on a trainer, Ben Shear. You mm-hmm. know Ben? You're um, the other guy. Yeah. And um, I'm still working with Ben. Um you know, and I think those guys, we had a good plan. Um, I, Craig Knight worked with me on my soft tissue. I don't know. I just had a good team. Dave was pushing me. Pat was keeping me focused on what I needed to do to be better. I was getting stronger, uh, you know, and it just sort of all kind of worked together and um, started winning some tournaments in 2010. I won a couple of times. And then 2011, I went... And, and won the match play at Tucson. Right. Suddenly, you know, 
I was a good player. I was, I think, ninth or tenth or eleventh in the world at that point, um, but not anywhere close to being number one. You know, there was a big gap between being tenth and being number one in the world. But that win shot me up to like three in the world, and at that point, I'm thinking, I'm three now. Like I only got two more spots to go. <laughs> I ne- it was never really my goal. I think to be number one. You know, as a kid, you grew up. Um, this part to win the Masters, right. this part to win the Open Championship, mm-hmm. but it's not like this part to get to number one in the world. Like you know, I, it just didn't really work that way for me. So, but at that point in 2011, I thought, man, let's let's go for number one. Say hey, there's a chance. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, more than a chance. So you know, that kind came the focus for me in a way. Um, still doing all the good good things, but. Um, yeah, I had had some good opportunities to get to number one. I went to Hilton Head, which is obviously a place I've I've played well at. Mm-hmm. I, I lost in a playoff to Brant Snedeker in 2011. Yeah. Um, if I'd won there, it would have got to number one in the world. Um, had another good week somewhere else, didn't quite get it done. It's just like, just right there, not knocking <laughs> on the door. And finally, I had an opportunity. I went to England to, to the BMW PGA Championship. Oh yeah, which is their flagship event, big week, big event. Um, and at that time, Lee Westwood had got to number one. Um, and it just so happened we tied after seventy-two holes, and we're in a playoff yep. to see who would be the you know would he keep number one or would I get to number one? And made birdie on the first playoff hole and par five, and got to number one. I told you earlier that was a cool win for me because. You know, there's something special about saying that you're the best in your sport. Something special, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was an unbelievable feeling. A place just 30 minutes away from where I grew up. Mm. A lot of my friends and family and people and high school friends I grew up and still were friendly with were there and supporting. And we went out and had a just an amazing night and drank till four in the morning <laughs> and just, just, just enjoyed it. Amazing, yeah. Celebrating with your friends and that's something that special. It's yeah, it's lifelong memory for sure. Wow, yeah, that's incredible. It's um, and then carrying that on, is that when it started the the fifty six weeks? Was it right that you were number one? Yeah, so a total of fifty six weeks. So I um probably went for. Uh, I can't remember the number, a good 25, 30 weeks in a row. And then you know, a certain Rory McIlroy was playing well and he, he overtook me. Uh, then I got it back the next week, you know, <laughs> and it went back and forth a couple of times. And then um, he had a strong start to 2012. He got it back. And then I went to Tampa, yep. uh, the Valspar, right. and I won that event in a four-way playoff. That got me back to number one, and maybe I kept it for another few weeks until yeah, he took it and <laughs> kept going for a long time. So, um, fifty-six weeks in total, which I think is like number seven all time. Wow. Which is, you know, it was it was a good run. Um, yeah, Tiger wasn't at his strongest. He certainly had his issues in no nine or ten, mm-hmm. but he was starting to play again. You know, when I was number one, he was getting back into the top ten. Mm-hmm. I think he got to number four or five or three by the time I lost it. Um, and he took it over again uh, from Rory at some point, but you know, uh, again, 
you know, you have when you have that opportunity, you just take it, right? Yeah, no matter yeah. who's who's playing well at the time. Yeah. And what's the the trophy sitting right up there? What's it called for the fifty? Yeah, up there, um, the five prong trophy. It's the Mark McCormick um, trophy. So yeah, anyone who has the most weeks at number one in a, in a year gets that trophy. Wow. So I only have one of them. But, uh, <laughs> Tiger probably has about ten of them. <laughs> More, well, more than 10, right? I mean, 600 and something weeks. It's incredible. Insane. That's insane. Yeah. I was actually, I was thinking about Tampa because this, like, not only is this conversation just epic in general, but for me personally, like, the time when you were, you know, really starting this run was when I first started really diving in and falling in love with the game of golf. And all I did was watch golf every day. So, you know, there was a night we shared together, you know, a couple of years ago when you were staying with me at the memorial where we cracked open a bottle of wine and basically just went down memory lane around the fire pit. <laughs> and I was just geeking. Those are the, the best. Time. Those are the best nights. Reminding you of the back-to-back Dunlop Phoenix in Japan. And it was a pretty fun conversation. But I remember uh, watching Tampa and you had to make birdie coming up the last to get into the playoff, if I remember correctly. I definitely birdied the the playoff hole to win. Um, did I birdie 72nd hole too? Might have the playoff hole that I'm thinking of then. Because you were you hit it out of the rough. Yeah, that was the playoff. So it was four man playoff. It was me, Furick, yeah. Jim uh, Garrigus, Garrigus, and Sang Moon Bay. Oh wow! And Garrigus piped one about three fifty down the middle. <laughs> like had little sandwich in. Jim probably you know bunted one in the fairway. Yeah, I think Sang Moon Bay hit the fairway too. And I, I was a bit nervous. And I you know didn't quite you know my handsy action didn't quite close the club face and hit it in the right rough and I was the first to hit in second shot and it was you know that green it's like so far up and the pin was I think six or seven yards on um on the front edge and I'm out the rough and you know it's got a decent lie I can get to the the green but you know controlling it is tough and I pick a seven iron it's a hard seven iron for me me and Johnny Johnny Longsocks my caddy (laughs) <laughs> and we uh we pick pick the seven iron and it just comes up like perfect i'm like looking at this thing i'm like that looks good please carry please carry carries by a foot and just rolls up like six feet under the pin Duh. they they all make par and i i sneak it in the left edge uh to to, to win so my, my fifth pga tour win my last one on the pga tour so far so, so far so far so far um, <laughs> Camilo's been, uh, yeah, he's inspiring us, yeah. inspiring us, all of us. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Mm. What's some advice or things you've learned about pressure coming down the stretch? Like, obviously, there's so many things that can happen, so many things that can enter your mind. Yeah. Um, is there any advice that you had, like, that can get you through it? Like, obviously, I'm coming back into golf selfishly <laughs> asking you as well, but there's so many. I'm sure young pros or kids listening to this as well that yeah. could benefit. Well, I th- again, I think the times I've felt the most anxious is when I, I feel like I haven't been prepared, like I'm not, not mm-hmm. feeling good about my game and you're not quite sure where the ball is going. Honestly, I think a lo- you can get rid of a lot of that anxiety is through good preparation, good practice. So I think it starts with that for me, mm-hmm. you know, making sure I'm doing the right work and the drills and, um, putting myself under pressure and then you know again you you stand over those putts like that six footer to win yeah 
and you know, I've done all those four to eight foot drills so many times. And like, you know, I make this nine out of 10 times, like, you know, and I think that that helps, you know? Very so cool. again, for me, it was all about, always about preparation. You know, the, you can do some breathing and, um, you know, pos be positive and, and all that kind of stuff and not get too, too ahead of yourself, stay in the moment. You know, I think those things are, are a given and I think a lot of the top guys always do that stuff but for me it always came down to just having that faith in myself that I'd done the preparation mm -hmm. it's funny because Jack pretty much said the yeah. same thing and yeah he was like being prepared and doing your work is will get you there it, like feeling that confidence yeah I've done this before and it doesn't really matter what it's for right now it's like I'm familiar with it and I can do this yeah like it's just like anything you know if you, if you feel like you've done the work um and you're prepared like a speech or something you know if you go in there cold turkey and you're not quite sure what you're going to talk about <laughs> that's the most nerve-wracking thing but if you go in there and you've rehearsed it you've done it you've mm -hmm. thought about it it's you're still going to feel nervous you're still going to have the, that butterflies but you've done it and mm -hmm. You know, you know, you've been there before. So, um, you know, I think there's no no shortcuts, you know, in anything in life. You know, no shortcuts. Yeah, you just gotta you gotta put in the work and be prepared for sure. On a lighter note, what's uh what's a good story from PGA Tour that you've had, or any other players that you've had some funny situations coming down the fairway, or caddies having to do weird things I don't know like, <laughs> oh man you put me on the spot here there's I'm sure there's several that come up well I can think of one that <laughs> I was going to bring up later but while you think I can tell a quick story that I may have heard from a, uh, a little birdie before we started this today please <laughs> yeah but it's not a story as much as it's really a question and I can attest to part of it but you know you're such a professional you're very calculated you're very well spoken. The way you you know attack your practice is very structured. Um, but you know, like we're having here tonight, you like to have you know a couple beers here and there, maybe a couple glasses of wine. And sure. when that ensues, you know you like to have a good time. So uh, a little birdie told me that uh, when that occurs, you're typically the first to end up on the table dancing. And so the question is if that's true or not. <laughs> Dancing, who who told you that? Yeah, it may have been a recent winner on tour. <laughs> CV, well, uh, yeah, CV, uh, CV, and I've, I've, we've, we've definitely shared. I think you know golf, like anything, life, but being at the top of of golf is is you know it's stressful, right? And yeah. sometimes you need those releases, you need those times where you can get away with stuff, get away from stuff, and not just be centered on everything like 100 percent. so yeah I'm, I, you know i i probably to the general public i'm pretty even killed the whole time but that's not really me you know i like to have some fun i like to uh have some glasses of wine now and again at the right times and certainly a cv yeah i've, I've uh <laughs> huge yeah, he, he, he huge does party he, he, he's pretty you know he is pretty uh <laughs> occasionally you'll let loose but not very often World. But we've spent some we've spent some holidays together and uh, over New Year's and stuff and yeah the tequila might have been flowing a few times and you know you gotta, you gotta, you gotta show show some moves you sure know? 
I do have this little little thing where I can like get my my belly to go like this. So that, that's my party move. Damn, that's incredible. You know, oh app God. control. <laughs> the last time I saw that was on a in Egypt. Yeah, the belly dancers. I'm probably drinking too much wine now. Right, right. <laughs> it's impressive. Well, so, something had to impress yeah. Diane to come so, along. Um, it's the belly dance. That's true. Belly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's a perfect transition. Actually, I'd like to talk about Diane and how you met and your family now and your three okay. girls and yeah, like it's so special having a family now. I have a one-year-old. She turned one yesterday. My daughter. And is there? Yeah, tell me about how you guys met, how you had kids, and how you integrated it. <laughs> well, we're to the going PGA back to tour. booze again. Um, <laughs> You met as I said, as I said, it was my last quarter at Northwest, and I was doing one quarter of Intro to Sculpture. <laughs> so Tuesday to Thursday, nine to twelve, I was doing sculpture. The rest of the time, I was practicing a bunch, and I was at the bars a lot. You know, my <laughs> last last quarter in college, and we went. I went to this um, kind of famous bar on the outskirts of Chicago that stay open till four a.m. because Evanston's dry for a long time. Mm-hmm. But the bars would shut at, at midnight and every, all the college kids would go down to the outskirts like 10 minutes away from Chicago where they could stay open. So nice. uh, this CD college bar and Diane was out there with a, a, a mutual friend that uh, I knew. And we just started to chat a little bit and kind of hit it off. And we didn't, didn't start dating till maybe six months later, but kind of just built a relationship and mm-hmm. chatted a bunch and um yeah we just we kind of went over out for halloween and then met up and i was a, a cell phone for halloween <laughs> she was um j-lo remember the j-lo outfit i don't know Sounds whatever it is. She, she was a much better outfit than me, but that was sort of the start of our date, November first, um, two thousand one. Cool. Didn't have a tour card, didn't have anything, and she didn't know much about golf. But um, yeah, her mother, um, Dan, Dan's father passed when she was eleven, so her, her mother kind of brought her and her younger sister up, pretty much like on her own for most most wow. of her life mm-hmm. and a very strong woman and very protective obviously of, of her their daughters and <laughs> and i i met with her maybe in december um before i even went to the final stage of q school down here and she's like uh yeah what do you do and i'm like um just graduate i'm gonna try and be a professional golfer like, well, what else are you going to do? Like, how are you going to make money? Like, you know, <laughs> what was your major? And I was like, well, it's an art major. Uh, okay, well, what, what, well, what are you going to, you know, you know it's like <laughs> just grilling me. And I remember I played my first event, it was a Sony Open, I think it was 13th. I think I made 89 grand or something. Nice. She, she saw that and she's like, eh, this might work. This might work. Like, <laughs> no, she's the best, but. Um, yeah, we just sort of started dating, um, and, um, yeah, we got married in 2007, and in Greece, she's, her parents were born in Greece, so she's Greek-American, and probably beautiful, I think. Antonopoulos is her surname, and, 
did a lot of the whole Greek family gatherings and all that kind of stuff. Greek Easter, it was, it was fun getting to know her, her family. And yeah, we did a big, big Greek, Greek wedding in Santorini and beautiful. Uh, 2010, we had our first child, yeah, Ellie. Mm. So, uh, yeah, three daughters now, 13, 12, and, and nine. You met Gigi earlier. I don't know if Gigi <laughs> made it on this podcast. <laughs> She's on for G- sure. Gigi's been around. In her uh, Christmas pajamas. In her Christmas PJs. And yeah, I mean, I think a lot of my, my success when I got to number one coincided with, you know, a year later after having my first kid. Wow. Mm. I think uh, there was definitely a lot of perspective, a lot of gratitude, mm-hmm. a lot of understanding that, again, going back to golf is important, but like this is this is what it's all about. Yeah. And I think, you know, having that understanding gives you a bit of a grounding, right? For sure. And so, you know, you hit a bad shot. You know, it's okay, you know. Think of my it's daughter's not so bad. Smile. You know, it's not so bad. Like there's mm-hmm. there's more important things in life and, and you're trying as hard as you can, obviously, but you know, it's it's not everything. So yeah. You know, definitely having children was a big, I think, proponent for me excelling uh, and getting to number one for for a couple of years. Amazing. Yeah, great. Gratitude is something that we've had uh, come up a lot on this podcast with the, with the guests. And um, just it's so important to, to feel that and the way that it kind of like transpires into your life like unknowingly but it just makes it so much better and and i agree with kids now like even practicing for me it's just like doesn't you know i'm i'm having fun because when i go home i get to see my daughter smile and call me dada and like it's um it's so cool what what are your girls into do they they like golf (laughs) Yeah, I mean they've they've had their moments where they come out to the course, but uh, and come to the range, but they they don't seem too interested, and I'm I'm fine with that, and yeah. I certainly wouldn't pressure them into it. They they loved hanging out with me and driving on the golf cart, and mm-hmm. going to the halfway house and grabbing a cookie, <laughs> and you know they're more into just kind of hanging out with with me, especially my younger one, and and my other two older ones are getting too cool now, you know, <laughs> to do that, but they used to do all that stuff, so. They they play sports, they um gymnastics, volleyball, basketball. Um, you know, you try and keep them off their iPads as much as possible. But they're they're into their school and mm-hmm. um their friends and I think that's a pretty healthy way of living down here, you know. Waking up and every morning it's pretty sunny most of the time and just being able to be outside and all that kind of stuff is is really a, a blessing to be here in Florida because of that, you know, I think for sure. Yeah. You know, obviously lived quite a lot of time in Chicago and lived in England. And, you know, those I remember as a kid, all those gray days and gray evenings. I didn't really think about it too much, but obviously to wake up with the sun, it just, it just makes you feel a bit better, doesn't For it? Sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Any uh, girl dad advice? Girl dad advice? Um, <laughs> good question. <laughs> I think just like in, in anything with parenting, it's just just try and be in, engaged as much as possible. You know, um, you know, just observe, listen. Um, definitely, you know, have structure and have boundaries, but 
let them be themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's that's really really important too. They're they're all very different. Um, different. They all have different characteristics. Um, you know, and you don't treat them the same. But um, you know, I think letting them be find their independence is really important. Mm-hmm. Great advice. Take that to heart. Yeah. Per, um, presence has been huge in, in our family right now. Just like, yeah, that's the hardest yeah. thing. You know, I yeah. think we're all, well, most of us are, you know, on our phones a lot and, you know, mm-hmm. that, that can get in the way sometimes <laughs> with that, that nonsense. So it's true. putting those away. Hey, Gigi, she's, she's appeared. <laughs> <laughs> so to get back into golf a little bit, I think this year has been so exciting um, to have to have you with not only the Grayson team, um, but uh, the Ryder Cup captain. And mm-hmm. uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts and feelings and experience on on that whole situation. Yeah, well, obviously we've known each other for, for a long time through Grayson. Mm-hmm. Seven, eight years together with Grayson, but a long time before that even mm-hmm. with, with with RLX and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, we go back way, way, way go back. But uh, yeah, this year was was very special. Obviously, I had the opportunity last year to to be captain, and uh, the Ryder Cup for me has always been the pinnacle of some of my experiences in golf. Um, just because you know, as, as much as I feel like I've done quite well individually. <laughs> um, the Ryder Cup, being able to share those moments with a teammate, you know, it's, it's a very individual game, golf, and you can be on your own a lot, and it's a grind, and you have to, you know, there's not many times where you're with it, with someone else working. You, you're out there finding it, you know, digging in the dirt by yourself. Yeah. And there's, there's something nice about that, but there's, there's something you miss being involved with a big team all mm-hmm. the time and and the Ryder Cup for me is is so special because of the that um because of the atmosphere you play in front of the fans the energy um you're playing to represent your families you're playing to represent your teammates you're playing to represent your country mm-hmm. um your flag and I think all of those things just make the Ryder Cup so special, and, and obviously had a lot of success. I've played, I've played in four and been on four winning teams. I was about to ask that. I, <laughs> I, I shouldn't know it in research before this, but I was going through in my head. I'm like, have you yeah. ever lost a Ryder Cup? Um, no. Well, twenty uh, at Whistling Straits, I was a vice captain. We got lost. It. We got we lost pretty hard, but <laughs> yeah, seven out of the six out of seven I've I've been on winning teams so that that's helped with my enjoyment obviously you you know you go there and you want to win you know that's that's part of it it's a great rivalry Mm. you know and I think coming you know obviously as a as a player playing in foursomes playing in four balls not wanting to let your partner down the atmosphere the crowd all that kind of stuff is is so so fun um, and then obviously I got this year the opportunity to be a captain and it's very different, different opportunity, very different experience. Suddenly now it's, well, for me, it was 14 months of trying to figure out how to give my team the best opportunity for success. Mm. And it's sort of engulfs you, you know, you're mm-hmm. thinking about it all the time and 
first of all, there was a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. It's like 45 years old, or I think the time when I was given the opportunity, I was 44, quite young. Um, you know, some guys are still playing Ryder Cups at that age. Mm -hmm. You know, can I do this? I'm a, uh, at heart, quite shy, introverted person, you know. Now I've got to lead these 12 guys and I've got to inspire them and talk to them and get to know them and um, figure out a plan to, for them to be successful. So it was, it was a little bit daunting at first, but the more I got into it, the more I, I talked to a lot of people and I started to glean a lot of information. Uh, I'd obviously made a lot of notes even over my Ryder Cups as players, mm -hmm. uh, being a player. Um, you know, and it was it was a, honestly the most special moment of my career. You know, when we wow. when we got through that Sunday and see we were victorious against <laughs> a very strong US team. So you guys had an awesome. Um, I think it was just because it was such a you know as an individual, you win a major or you win a, a big tournament. It's one week, you know, and, and it's amazing. And it's something you've worked for, but for for the Ryder Cup, it's just something I've I was engulfed in, and, and uh, it was on my mind for for you know fourteen months. Who were who were some of the people that you went to for advice on how to lead? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not gonna tell you everyone. Uh, <laughs> certainly, a lot of past captains. Mm -hmm. um, I talked to Bernard Langer, I talked to Paul McGinley. Um, you talked to them personally? Before yeah. The... Tony Jacklin, mm. who was four-time captain, three times a winning captain. He was the first captain in, in the U.S. to win at Muirfield. Yeah, Airfield. Um, what was some of their advice? Oh, it was just managing people. Um, I've got it all written down, but uh, <laughs> certainly looking, you know, Bernard Langer again, looking at the course and making sure your picks are, are um, you know, relate to the golf course. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so much, so much, so much advice. Um, you know, and you gotta, you gotta take everything, you know, read it through and think that that makes sense. You know, I want to use that. That that doesn't make sense to me. You know, and you kind of got to mold it into what, what's good for you. But, um, yeah, I, I would certainly think having very small ego with this job helped because I, I was willing to learn and know that I didn't know everything and I needed to figure out the best way. And that was through learning from, from other people, mm -hmm. you know, and um, that, that was certainly part of the journey. Yeah, I mean, I... I have a thousand questions I want to ask you about the Ryder <laughs> Cup. It was so epic to go there, and thank you for you know having my best thank friend. You for Jake coming. And I, I mean, it was we were uh, we were we were as Americans, you know, somewhat rooting for the U.S. But frankly, sure. more closer friends. It was it was pretty cool to come over there and and see you be so locked in each day. Just you know, I mean, I, I talked to Rafa, of your you know your caddy, and Morgan, one of your closest friends, before we were doing this today, mm -hmm. and he was telling me how he felt like an F one driver in the final <laughs> final day on Sunday, <laughs> driving around trying to get to every hole while things are going on. But maybe before I ask a couple questions about this Ryder Cup, looking back at the ones you played in, you know, what are just some of your favorite memories looking back as a player, whether it was 
you know, I, I, the most epic speech you heard in a locker room. I'd love to hear that. Or, you know, one of the, your, your best shots you think back to. What, what are a few of the highlights as a player you really think back to? Well, yeah, lots of um, uh, just uh, amazing moments as a, as a player, like some of the, sh- the great shots, even my first, very first Ryder Cup, 04, Oakland Hills, I get to play with Paul McGinley. Um, the first four balls um, and my opening drive is 60 yards right. I mean, literally the worst tee shot ever. Uh, got off to a bad start. You know, it's amazing the pressure. People say, oh, you're going to have so much pressure, you know, you'd be ready for that first. And uh, I don't know. I, did, I was walking to the tee and I felt fine. I felt like just normal nerves, little butterflies and standing there, no problem. And it, 04, there was like a thousand people around the team. It wasn't like, yeah, like it is now. Well, it's, it's not even, it's yeah. 800. Like it was, it was like a normal regular yeah, yeah. event. You know? Yeah. And uh, as soon as they announced your name, it just, it just hit me. And I, I went to jelly, like my knees and my leg. I can, I just, my mind just went blank. I had no idea how to hit a ball golf ball. And, you know, it was awful. Um, but I had a great partner. He put his arm around me. And, and I think, again, that's where that team stuff comes in. Like having someone there just say, don't worry about it. Like, I got yeah. this all. Like, yeah. Regroup. And- Bobby McIntyre had that same story. Or yeah. Bobby McIntyre. He, he had that same yeah, story with, about with Rosie. With Rosie, yeah. This year, walking to the first tee, you know, and Rosie so, put his arm around him. But um, have you played Oakland Hills? Uh, years ago when I was when I was like Eight, 12 or 13. 18 is this tough, tough par four. Mm. Dog leg right, like 490 or something up the hill. Mm-hmm. Big, like, um, slope in the middle of the green. I had 225 or something, second shot. McGinn needed him the bunk or the rough. He was out the hole. We were all square. Mm. I just hit this pure two iron. It landed on the front edge, rolled up, rolled back to about 15 feet. I, I didn't make the part, and in the end, Chris Riley, uh, I was playing Chris Riley and Stuart Sink, and Chris Riley made like an eight-footer to tie the match, but we, oh. we halved it. It was one of the most special shots I remember as a player. I got two iron mm. into the last. Um, I lost my singles to Chad Campbell, but then the next 2006, I got I got going again in the singles, and I got my own back, so that was, that was impressive. That was... <laughs> important i missed 08 with the wrist surgery yeah um but i would have played that one 2010 wales had an epic match against jim furick in the yep. singles just all of you know down the middle on the green make a putt yeah. make a birdie and he like, was, yeah, was cup champion we year. he won the fedex cup yeah um yeah a little trivia question who was the most drunk person at the play, player after party on Sunday, it was Jim Furyk. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> That's one you don't see coming. Either. No, no. Who was on the table dancing first? Yeah. <laughs> LD. <laughs> LD, probably. <laughs> the um, belly dance. <laughs> well, won that one, one up. Epic yeah. match. That was a close Ryder Cup. We won by, I think, that point. Yep. And then, uh, obviously, 2012 was, you know, a very famous Ryder Cup yeah. the miracle of Medina not so much for the US but obviously for, for European folklore you know the comeback um, Seve had passed away the year before Jose was the captain you know all the inspiration 
he'd shouted at us after Friday after we were losing. You know, I saw a different side to him. He was so, he's so passionate about the Riley Cup this year. Even he was talking to someone, you know, and I've got some great pictures of Jose. Um, I'll share one day, you know, years to come down the mm. road, where we had this dressing room um, at, at Marco Simone. Yep. It was 13 lockers, all the players and Seve. Yep. And it had Seve's shirt from 1995, his last time he played at uh, Oak, Oak Hill. Yep. Um, in Rochester, hanging up uh, with a little plaque. And um, a couple of times, someone walked by and he was had his hand, his head down, and just sobbing, you know. Mm. And um, this is what the Ryder Cup meant to him, you know. And he, he said to someone, I can't remember who, but he said, I would, I would give up one of my majors to be able to play in another Ryder Cup. Wow. And, you know, and, and that's kind of, you know, what it meant went to him and obviously with him being the captain in 2012 it was very inspirational very you know emotive and i don't know after myself you know, I, I had one of my most famous shots was against tiger on 17 you know he was they were coming back at us we were four up at the turn me and sergio and um tiger started making a bunch of birdies and just pumping and doing all this and suddenly birdied 16 with one only one up playing 17 he stuffs it in 17 down the hill par three and i hit it inside him you know that's probably my most famous shot as an individual in the Ryder cup wow we ended up making both making a two and he uh we halved the last and, and won that hole and got to 10-5 and then polter was doing his heroics yeah to 10-6 <laughs> yeah. yeah and i don't know we would been beaten up the whole week for two days and we came off Saturday just feeling like this was you know we were we were gonna win I don't know we just we had this momentum and we liked how the singles roster kind of played out we all liked our individual matches I was very fortunate to be given the the honor of going number one single so I went out and beat Bubba three and one um, we got a bunch of blue on the board early and then, you know, th it happened, you know, um, it was, um, it was unbelievable. Crazy. Um, what, what was it like playing against Bubba though? I mean, cause that's uniquely a very intimidating competitor just because of literally he could hit any shot. I mean, coming off 2012, it's when he wins the masters yeah, hitting yeah. the incredible shot out of the trees. Like I can't imagine match play he won the match play too, I think. Or it was always contending in the match play championship. Yeah, they put him number one for a reason. I think he played quite well right in Saturday. Yeah. But I think in a in a way I was kind of the perfect antidote to his fanfare. You know, he was excited and stuff, and I didn't give him anything, you know. I'm just like <laughs> that was part of the reason <laughs> really put, good, that was dude. part of the reason they put me in there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I was a Chicago guy in a way, in you know, Northwestern. So I had just as much crowd support as he did, to mm. be honest with you. Yeah. So I sort of, you know, to win that first match was important. And then the guys behind us just keep doing what they were doing was, was, was really important too. So, yeah. um, yeah, that was good. So now we fast forward to, you know, this year and you're captaining the team. And I remember we were together at the Memorial uh, the year prior when things started to go down with, with Liv coming into play and, and Henrik decided to go and this potentiality started to come together and 
you know, just to get to watch you getting to know you and the responsibility of taking this on. I mean, how intentional you talk about the locker with, with, you know, Seve's locker being there. I mean, I remember watching it behind the scenes of, you know, the team rooms. I mean, everything felt so intentional. And, and, and I guess I'm asking, was it, which I'm sure it was, but like, I mean, you develop such a culture in that locker room. And I just would love to hear you talk about, you know, your leadership style and yeah, where that comes from. Yeah, well, it was, I think it was the very next week after I stayed with you. Yeah, it was. In Canada, I flew to Canada and got the call. It's yep. like, would you like to take over from Henrik? And I was like, yes. But, um, you know, yes, I think so. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah. Wow. I mean, I was calling my wife and she was over in the UK and, you know, we were just my God, this is happening. Like, this is so cool. Like, you know, what an opportunity. And, but, but yeah, that's kind of when the process started. That's, um, you know, I think that's when I started to figure out how I can create the best, best environment for my team to succeed. Um, and that started with me trying to play, um, quite a lot. So I wanted to get over to Europe more. Uh, I wanted to be in amongst the players. Mm. I wanted to try and create um, trust and amongst them, get to know them better, obviously get to play with them um, yeah. uh, as much as possible to see how they performed uh, with me. But, you know, just start the communication, you know, start those that, that um, being able to feel like they they knew who i was that they could they could trust me uh and that was the first step um you know then we obviously looked at qualification criteria you know six picks was very different yeah um i thought that gave me the best opportunity to get the the most informed players but also have an ability to create to choose some players that been there uh and all different things um so yeah, again, um, those were kind of the first steps, but, you know, again, it was a process of how can we make everyone feel like they belong as well? Yeah. And I think that was important in my, um, in my captaincy. Um, there was always going to be rookies on the team. There's always going to be established players. There's always going to be superstars. You know, how do we get these guys feeling like 12 guys in the room playing for each other? Mm. You know, where, how can we take this hierarchy away? You know, where we are all playing for each other. Yeah. Um, so, again, a, a big important part of that was the practice trip. Mm. Um, we'd never really done a formal official practice trip before. Um, so we went there as a team two, two or three, two and a half weeks before. And... It was something that we'd never done before, and I was a bit nervous about. We did this fireside chat. And, um, it was your idea. It's my idea, and another guy that I've been working with um, that was very much into creating the right culture and, and teams. And um, yeah, I didn't really know what to expect and how it was going to go, and whether these guys would kind of buy into it. And it was amazing in the end. There was some very simple questions we asked. I started off talking about my my starting golf and what the Ryder Cup meant to me 
sort of passed it around. I started with John, mm. went to Rory, and it just sort of just started to flow, you know. And then some people, you know, didn't give too much away, but some people really opened up. Wow. And what it what it really did was it it, um, it made a lot of the rookies understand that a lot of their upbringing in golf was exactly the same as the superstars. Mm -hmm. They had something in common. They were playing um, because of a lot of sacrifice from their parents, um, because some people were told they weren't good enough and they needed to prove themselves, mm. you know? And it was amazing, like, kind of just the emotion and um, the conversation that, that kind of went, that, that happened. Mm. And this sort of, we, then that's when the team really started to form. We, we then went away. Everyone was playing at Wentworth. It felt like everyone was together again. Yeah. Obviously, I, I had an opportunity to pair people together. I was thinking about pairings. Yeah. Who was going to be playing with who. Um, cool. And by the time we got back to the Ryder Cup, usually those first day on Monday or Tuesday, it's like people are trying to find their feet, find where they are. But we were already a team. By We're rolling. We were already rolling. Yeah. So... It was it was very good. It it worked very well. Um, and as I said, the whole week, you know, there, there really wasn't any hierarchy. You know, you always need your superstars to play great. Mm -hmm. But they were so good about inviting everyone. You know, I'd walk into the team room. I was usually the last last guy there because I had media and uh, all sorts of stuff. And so I I walked in late and and in, in the evening. And usually, you know, people like to hang out in their little groups, right? <laughs> but no, John was sitting with Bob, and then John the next day was sitting with Rosie, and then yeah. the next day he was sitting with someone else, and the same with same with um, Rory. And, and, you know, it was just, uh, it was a very, um, yeah, these guys just sort of took it, took it really well, mm. and just was, was a, were a real team. I always find it so unique, like when you watch. I get a little emotional talking about it. Oh, shit, as you should. I should. I mean, it was. I've I've never been to a sporting event anything like it. You know, as just a, a sports fan and obviously a golf lover, but I mean, to get to go to Europe and feel that energy. I mean, I actually I remember CV and I were talking about it. He was in Columbus a few weeks before, prior, and you know he was sharing. His he, he really wanted to come. Yeah. Um, he had to go to the fine school or something um and i'm here to go to yeah. some event that because he'd had such an amazing experience the presence right vice captain uh, there that, you know i think some of those experiences helped what he just achieved the last couple of weeks 100 percent. but the i remember him telling me he's like you know when you walk the golf course you know because of the tv screens everywhere it's you know you see every shot and so you're you're standing on the 12th fairway and there's nobody even playing in front of you but everybody's looking back at the screens watching wow. and you know so and so makes a putt rory makes a putt and the crowd goes nuts i mean it's just electric the whole time jack you were there in france you know uh too but i mean it just i i always remember like one one thing i find so unique about watching the european teams is the first tee the camera goes up to the four, you know, in four balls and foursomes. The camera goes up to them, right? And you got two Europeans and the two Americans. They go to the Americans. They're standing there shoulder to shoulder. Go to the Europeans. It's arm around one another. Mm -hmm. Again, that I, I certainly never told them as a captain, put your arm around. Like that, that, <laughs> that's that's 
certainly not. That's all organic, you know. And yeah. I think that started again, you know, three weeks before. You know, everyone sort of built, got really bought into this whole team aspect. Mm. Um, it really is important for them, you know. They, they, biggest thing I wanted was that win or lose, they had the best week, you know, at the end of the week. Wow. You know? And um, we started off the week very strong. We had some motivational videos. You know, I tried to really give them a, a, a good vision of what the week would look like, uh, the purpose, you know, trying to give them some inspirational stuff with the Sevi and stuff. Well, how about Novak? Novak, yeah. <laughs> um, there's all kinds of stories, obviously. And, and I tried to really um, give them a lot of confidence. This is why I think you're going to win. You get this, 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 this. I don't see anyone, you know, you know, and obviously a lot of the pairings were um, already in place, you know, well before that week. Um, you always have to adapt, obviously, sometimes, and you and you do. But it was a week where a lot of things went to plan, and I didn't have to adapt that much. Mm. Um, but you know, obviously, that was a lot of, because of the the preparation that had gone in. Mm. What do you think, like the differences from the American side versus the European side yep. of like the camaraderie. Like, is it because of the way that you're raised? Is it because of no. the way that like the Ryder Cup is seen from that perspective? Um, hard, hard to know. I mean, obviously, right. I can only talk from my standpoint. You know, for us, you know, we we do make a big deal of it and we try to really enjoy the the moments we get to to spend with each other that week. Um we I understand, you know, you can't take these are in highly classed individual players and you can't take them out of their routines and and stuff. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they are so willing. They're always looking forward to going back in the evenings and spending that hour, two hours together. The videos, you know, the, the mm. times they get to spend. Um, they obviously, outside of that, they're still doing their practice routines. They're doing their warm downs, their warm ups, you know, individually that, that they're very good at. But the times away from the golf course, they really embrace. I, I don't know why, because they, mm. <laughs> they really enjoy it. You know, I've I've certainly read some stuff that the U.S. do it a little bit differently. You know, they they do quick team dinners at the course, and then you know a lot of time on their own in their rooms and stuff, and mm. some room service. And I, I, I don't know. That's just what I've read. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's true or not. But they, you know, I did read something like um, Brooks said. You know, we we just try and make it. You know, in a, in a major. I go out to the course. I do my practice nine holes, and then I'm back and I'm watching TV and just chilling you know that's my major preparation and that's how i want it to be in the Ryder cup to prepare the best interesting but you know again we we try to embrace the week a little bit more yeah. just try and make it kind of fun as a group yeah sounds amazing um, that one. Oh, it's yeah. you know rather than just um kind of doing the the same old you know right. week in week out so mm -hmm. um again i think uh because of that um the guys, you know, again, win or lose, they they have a great time because they're just hanging out with these guys that are the, you know, usually competing against week yeah. in week out. But that week, they're they're buddies, they're companions, they're family, they're you know everything. You know, we do a lot of things together. And I think that's kind of kind of cool. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Can can you share any of the motivational videos that you, sh you should play one on here? <laughs> 
Was it? Is it like something you can search on YouTube or no? Like no, these will from... these will be uh, personal videos that they'll just keep and um, that they're, they're theirs. And um, yeah, it was just uh, every player had a, an individual video. That oh, really? Was, you know, um, the first night, yeah, you know, I asked them to be in their rooms between five and five thirty, and their, their wives like handed them an iPad, I think, with the video, so they could see it on their own. You know. Uh, in their room on their own just enjoy it it was just you know people that were close to them mm. talking about how special they were to them and how much support they had oh wow stuff like that um that's amazing it's so cool you know and then they all came back down to the team room and uh that's when i got back from the course and i did my little talk about you know setting up the week and stuff but then at the end, we played a, like a compilation of the videos. Oh, cool. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there was a few tears. So uh, mm. it was a, a very emotional start to the week, which, you know, again, I didn't want that to happen on Thursday night because I thought that was a little too close to competition. But, <laughs> um, it was a good, it, it, you know, again, I think it just set the tone for why we play the Ryder Cup. Um, we play not just for ourselves. We just play for more than ourselves. We play for... Uh, each other we play for our family we play for our friends for the people that have supported us the whole way that's you know um made it possible that we're here right now you know and it's kind of now it's their opportunity to to play great and write their story but they also have a responsibility to inspire the next generation so you know again all all this messaging is is I think important and it and it adds to the week of what makes uh, a Ryder Cup so, just so special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, I mean, back to the gratefulness, you know, like they being seeing those videos. I'm sure they were just like, "Wow, this is incredible! What a what a special feeling to have!" And then getting in that that mindset of just being like full gratitude. The yeah, and I think inherently we all want to be um, feel like we belong to something, right? We mm-hmm. feel like we belong and we we're a part of a collective. Mm-hmm. I think people are just on their own, um, you know, struggle. You know, they don't have support. So I think that's just human nature. That's why family is important, right? Right, community. And, and why you're having children, why having a wife, why having someone that's so supportive, having a coach, having best friend that's there for you you know Mm. that collective is human nature you know and if you can bring that to 12 very skillfully individual players and and try and bring that out as much as possible then then i think you can you can create some great play and great camaraderie and Mm. and that's that's all we try and do in Ryder cups create some magic (laughs) sweat now no, dude. I hope I'm not le- giving away too many secrets. Here. <laughs> it's not. It's it's not rocket science. No, it's it's, it's, it's very basic human nature. But um, yeah, but it's reaping into that. Yeah. Yes, but I mean, just listening to you and you know responding to it, it's it's brotherhood. It's it's love for one another. I mean, you talk about that fireside chat. I mean, mm. shit, we. You know, I'd known you for... We've had a few. Well, I'd, I'd, it's honestly where I'm going. I'd known you for 10 years, you know, at the Bears Club, but pretty topically, you know, just oh, seeing yeah. you on the practice range and whatnot. You get to and, find interesting things about people that you never knew. Do we? I we, think that's, yeah. that's cool. You see them every day for 10 years, but you don't really know them that well. No. Personally, if you 
have an opportunity to open up a little bit. Yeah. Do something special. Like, I mean, it took us one night sitting around the fire, a couple bottles of wine, <laughs> you know, and just, you know, it, just like that, you know, you open up to one another through vulnerability and being honest. And like you said, you realize you're a whole lot more alike than you are different. Yeah. You know, and it sounds like just the ability that, you know, you led the effort and, you know, bringing a group of men together as individuals, but. Well, I, I certainly, you know, helped as the captain, but there was a lot of people around me. You know, we have a great team um, and everyone bought into it. And I certainly mm -hmm. wouldn't take full credit uh, for everything, but I had a lot of, you know, like anything, you always need help, right? You have good people, the support staff, the European tour, amazing. Um, you know, there's, there's people that help with the videos and that have inspirational ideas and people mm -hmm. that help me with the culture and um, my wife. You know, she was amazing as a lady captain in terms of creating an amazing event uh, and the Spanish steps for the, for the, was for the players and, and, and families and, and, you know, just care. I think just showing that kind of care is, mm. is kind of, is really important. That's huge. I mean, that's what, that's why we're doing this right now. Like to share that. We're all in this together. Yeah. yeah. Like we're like, we're all people uh, part, who. And part of, uh, part of any leader like is to share that knowledge onwards right and share it on and mm -hmm. have people to learn and certainly uh again certainly some of my messaging was you know you know you're playing for your teammates but you're playing to inspire the next generation as well for sure that's powerful yeah that's and like, on on that topic too i mean you know your career in itself is so inspiring and and kids like myself looked up to you so much you know growing up around the game and you know what would be your you know message or inspiration to kids that are thinking about getting into the game of golf why why should you play golf what are well it's important to be passionate about something mm. um you know again we see too many kids uh, on phones and ipads these days and you're not really learning much and um you know Find something you're passionate about, um, really enjoy it, get into it, and and want to improve at it. I think that was how we all started in the game of golf. Mm -hmm. um, have you know, have some support there with you that can, that can push you in those tough times. But tough times are just as important as the as the good times. Yeah, you, learn, you learn so much from the the failing. And I think that's why golf is such a humbling game isn't it you fail all the time <laughs> I mean, you literally fail all the time and and that's why you've got to embrace those 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 cool moments and, and enjoy those good moments and i certainly uh, celebrated that Ryder cup win for a good month afterwards and i'm still going <laughs> yeah, a little bit you know, say, cheers i'll give you a cheers <laughs> to that one right now cheers, cheers boys mm. speaking of that works <laughs> that works just right little Italian number. Mm, exactly. You know, that wasn't even intended, but maybe it was a little bit subconsciously. Yeah, right. I'm on an Italian kick still. Hello. I'll just tell you this as a spectator. My best friend and I fly in, and we basically didn't Jake. sleep. And my best friend Jake and I fly in for 48 hours to Rome. We didn't sleep for two days. We just, just went after it. I mean, what a, what a town to have a Ryder Cup in. We didn't even go out either. We just yeah. walked the you know, city. Even some of that was the messaging. It's like, enjoy this history. This, this is we're, we're oh. adding to the history of Rome, which is like, 
an immense place. Like an how much has gone on in this place, and now you have the opportunity to create your own little PC. Yeah, well, I mean, where you guys um, walk down the steps after the opening ceremony, or down that main. I'm I'm blanking on the names of it all, but I mean, it was the Spanish steps. They haven't they didn't close that for forty years. Oh no way. They half closed it for a Mission Impossible movie last year, uh, <laughs> and literally hadn't been closed for forty years. Wow! And my wife pulled that one off. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. That's um, insane. Just walking through the streets and goosebumps. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't. You know, obviously, it was mostly hotel golf course, hotel golf course. But we wanted one night where we get to enjoy the city. Mm-hmm. It was important because we don't do that very often. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I've just had like I've had goosebumps for the last thirty minutes sitting here listening to you talk about the Ryder Cup. I mean, it's just, you know, man, I'm so happy and so proud of you. I mean, to hear you talk about this, the emotion in it, like it's just, man, I'm like, it's really special and really grateful you. for you sharing your stories and and just what a, what an incredible accomplishment. Thanks, really. yeah. thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. the um, speaking of the. The high moments in careers. Um, our last question that we end each podcast with is based around our title, uh, which is I Can Fly. And we like to know if there's any time in your life where you felt that I could fly. Not too long ago, about five <laughs> weeks ago, standing on that uh, green on 18th, knowing that we just won the Ryder Cup. I mean, everything I'd poured into it and... Um, yeah, there's nothing greater than doing something for other people, right? And, and creating something special like that. So, uh, yeah, I was on cloud nine. <laughs> uh, just a lot of emotion, you know, obviously a, lot, a few tears came out, um, you know, and I, I don't cry very often on a golf course, but, uh, you know, that was that was fun. Yeah. It's a perfect way to That's beautiful, perfect answer. Yeah. Gigi, come in here. Give Pop a hug. <laughs> Call it a night. It's bedtime. GG, it's past your bedtime. Uh-huh. Thanks, Luke. Yeah, this is great. Right. Thanks. Thank Thanks, Archie. Nice work. Appreciate you. Jag. Archie's ready for bed. Too. That was awesome. Yep.